don't know if you noticed in a few of the testimonies tonight, the phrase came up. It's a good phrase, and it came up repeatedly with young and old, uh, coming to understand just how much I need Jesus, needing Jesus. We need Jesus probably for more things than we realize. We need Jesus not just for the sake of companionship and a divine emotional hug. We have a lot of real needs that are met through the cross of Christ that go far beyond being forgiven of our sins. And what I want to talk to you tonight about and we, you know, I don't, I'm not complaining at all. It was all good stuff. We've had a pretty full service, and, and I'll speak. We, we'll have to condense worship time and get right into prayer groups and get all of that stuff done. But what I want to talk to you about tonight is something that's become really precious to me. When I think about the cross, I think about it as much as I think about my sins being forgiven. That might shock you, and I want to see why I have, I have two needs, one of which is my past sins being forgiven. But let me just set it up this way so you'll listen carefully. If that's all I get, my past sins forgiven, if that's all I get through the cross, I'm not going to make it to heaven. There's something else I need just as much. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Jesus died on the cross, so there's 15 weeks, 15 Protestant truths about the death of God the Son. This is part two. Last week, bearing the wrath of God, bearing the wrath of God, the just wrath of God against evil and sin. Tonight, Jesus died on the cross to learn obedience by the things he suffered, that's one, and complete the obedience that fulfills all righteousness. And if you've never heard of those two phrases, don't worry, you're not alone. Most Christians don't think about what we're going to talk about tonight, and they need to. There's a couple of verses of Scripture that have some tricky sentences in them, but precious sentences. The first text, Hebrews 5, 7 to 9. The writer is speaking about Jesus... Before the cross, while he lived on earth, God the Son in his human form, in the days of his flesh, so that's after the incarnation, after he was born in this world, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, and here's the phrase, He, this is Jesus now, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, I thought he was perfect. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And we usually think of to all who believe on him. And now, the writer is fleshing out and showing us what faith means. Faith means following and trust and obedience. It's not just acknowledging something. That's one text. Here's another. Romans 5, 16 through 19. And the free gift, this is our 
our redemption, okay, through Christ. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. That's talking about Adam. Adam and Eve in the garden, okay? Technically, we know Eve took the fruit, passed it to Adam, but we talk about Adam's sin in that generic sense. The free gift, that's the gift of eternal life, redemption, is not like the result of that one man's sin. So now we're comparing two people. What we get through Adam because of his sin, what we get through Jesus because of his sinless death on the cross. So that's the comparison Paul is making. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. That's what we get through Adam. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So Adam sinned, people sinned and sinned, many trespasses, many trespasses. Then the free gift, Jesus comes and dies on the cross, and it brings justification. Condemnation through Adam, right? Justification through Christ. You all tracking with me? It's kind of an involved text. 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, who's that? Adam, that's right. Death reigned through that one man, and that's, we see it, drive by the cemetery, Everybody dies. Death reigned through that one man. Much more, now I have the contrast, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That's good news. The contrast continues. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for how many men? That's everybody. Men and women, mankind, persons. As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and faith for how many people? That's interesting. Not just the elect. Doesn't mean everybody's saved, but it leads, leads for all men. For all men. The contrast continues. For as by one man's disobedience... The many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. All right, let's jump in. Jesus never suffered to evoke our pity. Poor Jesus. Look what he went through. So the question remains... Is the suffering, I'm not talking now his death, not his death on the cross, not his, the actual act of dying for our sins. I'm talking about his life on earth, all the suffering of his life. Is it pointless? Is it just the fact of his death that's important? And the answer to that question is no, it's not just his death. The suffering of Jesus, both in his life and then in his death, It matters to your Christian faith. I'm hoping to show you why tonight. There is deep, sturdy, precious meaning and accomplishment in all the suffering of Jesus' humanity. Now, that suffering found its climax in death on the cross, but it had its beginnings, we know. A baby who couldn't find decent birthplace and was born in a... a, Stall where animals and livestock were. A life that knew little but poverty, hard work. 
Long before his death, we read the prophet saying he will be despised, rejected of men. They slandered Jesus. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. We know the verses. That's not just talking about the cross. That's, that's his life here on earth. The Bible says we benefit two ways from the suffering of Jesus. One, Jesus, in this strange text, Hebrews 5.8, Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered and was made perfect as the author of our salvation. 5.8, look at it again. Although he was a son, this is God the Son, it's really our Lord, that's what the, the writer's trying to say, he learned obedience through what he suffered. It's one text. The other, Hebrews 2.10, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, that's, that's us, should make the founder, that's Jesus, should make the founder of their salvation perfect, through suffering. Now, the background for understanding these verses is, is really important. Because the very same book in the Bible, the book of Hebrews, makes it clear that Jesus never committed any sin. I think we all know that. You might not know where it's found. But Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and then these words, yet without sin. So there you have it. Jesus is the one person who never committed any sin. Sinless is the only word to describe our Lord as he lived here on earth. So whatever else those two verses from Hebrews mean about Jesus learning obedience, the one passage, and being made perfect in the other, whatever they mean, they can't mean that there was ever a time when Jesus was guilty of any sin or possessed some moral impurity of any kind, okay? So whatever those words mean, Jesus didn't learn obedience the way I learn obedience, and he was never made perfect the way I and you are progressively made perfect and sanctified in this world. Whenever we learn obedience, it always involves unlearning disobedience. That's how it is for us. We are hopefully being increasingly made perfect as, as imperfections are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, all right? That's how we're made perfect. But Jesus never had to unlearn disobedience. He never had to have his own life cleansed from anything impure or anything dirty. Never. So the question remains, what did Jesus learn? He learned obedience. And how did this perfect him, who was already morally Sinless. Those are the questions. I want you to look careful with me at these texts because 
in them, like I said at the beginning, I have come to see a truth that takes the suffering of Jesus on the cross and before and gives it just profound application and comfort and hope for my life. That's what I want to share with you tonight. Here's what Jesus learned first. Here's what Jesus learned. He learned in full measure in a way he never knew in his pre-incarnate state. He learned the full measure of the cost of obeying the will of Father God in a fallen world in a human body with a genuine human nature. Jesus had never experienced that before. His will had always been perfectly joined with the Father from all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Nothing but perfect harmony, perfect love, perfect holiness. That existence, that harmony with the Father's will had never cost Jesus anything. Jesus, of course, is the name given when he was born in this world, but you know what I mean. Before the incarnation, the Son had never been in an environment where there was any kind of opposition to the Father's will. Never. Jesus had never experienced the limitations of obeying the Father from the framework of a human being taken on human flesh. Jesus, before his incarnation, Jesus had never known the experience of temptation. Not once. The pre-incarnate son had never experienced the downward drag of life in a fallen world. He had never experienced the agony of Gethsemane where the writer of Hebrews says he cried out with tears in a way that he never experienced before the incarnation and his life here on earth. This is what was new. This was the fresh learning curve the suffering of Christ as the man of sorrows. He became, notice the words, he became acquainted with grief. You see somebody you, you never saw them before. You get to know them. At one time you weren't acquainted with them. Then you're acquainted with them. He became acquainted with grief. So first of all, this is how Jesus learned Obedience by the things he suffered. He learned obedience under our conditions. He learned obedience under the conditions of our finite human existence. In a body that could experience pain and death. He learned obedience to the Father's will on our terms. Later in this series, we're going to look at how this enabled Jesus to be a sympathetic high priest instead of a condemning high priest. But everybody ought to even now say, praise God, a sympathetic high priest. So, that's the learning issue. Through the things he suffered, Jesus learned what it was like to be acquainted with grief. He learned what it was like to live life under conditions that weren't in perfect harmony with the Father's will. But what about that second issue? 
If this is the kind of obedience, if this is what Jesus learned through suffering, how did this obedience make Jesus perfect? That's Hebrews 2.10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, that's Father God, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. I already said, we've already established, the perfection described here isn't moral perfection. So Jesus wasn't perfected in the sense of being cleansed from impurities. Think of it this way. The perfection being described is a perfection he didn't have before. The perfection described is the perfection of being readied for a particular task. Being made perfect... Prepared for a specific assignment. And the text tells us, the text I read, Hebrews 2.10, tells us what the assignment is. Jesus is made perfect as the author of eternal salvation through these sufferings. There's brilliant truth here, church. I don't mean I'm brilliant. I mean brilliant truth in the text. Jesus' suffering made him perfect as a savior. His suffering made him perfect as our redeemer. That's because because we need a redeemer who is one of us. We need a redeemer who is not ashamed to call us brothers, Hebrews 2.17. We need a redeemer who has been where we have been. We need a redeemer who saves us from our side as well as from God's side. Do you remember the two important words from last Sunday night? Expiation, propitiation, remember? Remember? Expiation has to do with our side of things, our record being canceled, the record of our transgressions being wiped clean. Propitiation has to do with God's justice being satisfied, the wrath of God being satisfied. And so Jesus accomplishes both. Point number two. Is it number two or number three? You thought we'd gone farther, didn't you? Now, I want to show you why this is precious to me and why we need this. Jesus died on the cross to complete the obedience that fulfills all righteousness. Don't get confused by this. You're you're going to see this. We're unfolding many shades and levels in the glory of the cross in this Sunday night series. This point is like the first point, but it goes a bit further. First, we saw that Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. He was made perfect, that is, prepared for the role of being the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was, through his incarnation, he was readied for that in a way that he wasn't prepared for it before the incarnation. You can't pound nails through a spirit. There has to be a body. So he was made perfect in the sense of prepared to be our redeemer. Now, secondly, we're seeing that Jesus completed the obedience, the text says, that fulfills all righteousness. Here's the verse. Let me read you. Romans 5.19. We read this at the very beginning. 
For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. As by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, we're made sinners, we're conceived in iniquity, we're born sinners. So by the one man's obedience, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. So the phrase to note is, by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Think of two important P words. Pardon and perfection. Remember I said at the beginning, think way back, that there's something besides forgiveness that if all you get from the cross is forgiveness for past sins, you won't make it to heaven. And some of you looked at me. I saw the look. I want to show you why that is. Because you need more than just pardon for past sins. You need to be righteous and holy. Last week, we began our study of the cross with, well, the only place you really can begin. Jesus bore the just wrath of Almighty God against Don Horbin's sin. This is not a harsh, legalistic temper. The love of the whole Trinity is involved. The Father sends the Son. Jesus bears the wrath of God in his death on the cross. He bore God's wrath in my place. That's a wonderful thing. God can't just ignore sin. It has to be punished. Bad people can ignore sin. Holy people can never ignore sin. So Jesus' death... brought my pardon. Expiation is the big word. Pardon is just as good. But I need more than that, and so do you. I need more than just pardon. I need more than just my debt canceled because, this may shock you, I am still incapable of absolute moral perfection. It's true. My present right now, okay, right now at, at six, <laughs> right now, I am no more capable of earning God's blessing than I was before I was a Christian. Everybody understand that? I am no more good enough to qualify for eternal life now than before I was saved. My present is no more worthy of God's approval than my past. And so what I need, what you need, what we need is real, solid perfectly accomplished righteousness before God. Not just forgiveness for the past. Praise God for that. But we need righteousness in the present. We need righteousness before a holy God. And I don't have that. And you don't either. 
Not to that degree, we don't. And Jesus, perfect, holy, sinless, righteous life, gets credited to Don Horbin on March 13th, 2016. Right now, I stand in that righteousness. That's beyond just forgiveness. Forgiveness cancels the bad stuff I've done. We understand that, right? Forgiveness cancels out the bad stuff that I've done. But that's not righteousness. I need perfect obedience to all of the will of Father God. Think about it for a minute. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength every minute of the day? 24-7, seven days? Yeah, 24-7, seven, seven days a week. Well, we, we know we should. Do you do every good thing that you know you should do? To him who knows what is good doesn't do it, it's sin. Make sure you see two transactions that took place on that cross on your behalf. Jesus' death bore my punishment. Jesus' perfect obedience to the law was imputed as Don Horbin's righteousness before God. That's why I said you need more than just your past forgiven. We need to stand in the righteousness of an absolutely perfect high priest. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, through the obedience of the one, Christ, the many will be made righteous. Or you can listen to the way Paul describes these two transactions in one verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sakes, he, the Father, made him, the Son, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become righteousness of God. There are these two mighty transactions being finalized through the painful obedience, the learned suffering, the complete fulfilling of all the demands of the law as a human being in my place. That's what gets credited to Don Horbin. Christ dying cancels my debt, but I need more than my debt canceled. I need to possess a perfect, accomplished, positive righteousness before a holy God. So you and I can stand free of condemnation in Christ for only one reason it's not just that He died. We stand free in Christ because before he died, he kept the law of God perfectly. If he didn't, then Jesus died on that cross for his own sin. Do you see it? But because he never did, because he fulfilled all righteousness, then that gets credited to me. Oh, church, you behold the love of God in Christ that takes away my guilt in pardon... And then supplies Christ's righteousness in perfection. How good is that? How good is that? We can't imagine now 
This morning, remember I started talking about what it means to be in Christ? I'm going to do a series of messages somewhere. I'll die before I get to it, probably. But I'm going to do a series of messages, five or six messages on what it means to be in Christ. It's massive. It is huge. it's, It's hard for us to imagine what our present lives right now. We're all scrubbed up. We're here in church, even on Sunday night. If that doesn't get you to heaven, eh? Like, what would? Here we all are. It's hard for us to imagine how we would look to a holy God outside of Christ. When I was a kid, I don't remember where I was. It wasn't at our house because I wouldn't have been allowed to watch it. But I had friends, and I would go over to their house when I was in, just in my early teens. And I still remember seeing this movie. Don't, and please, I, I know it was a stupid movie. It's one of those movies where there's these alien people. It was a sci-fi horror, that, the kind of thing that, you know, when you're an 11-year-old boy, you think is just utterly cool. And so these aliens would come, and they would be here mingling with the people on Earth with this plan to take over the world. I have a point with this, by the way. And to everybody else, they looked like nice, prim, proper, neat people. Except there's one person who's been here from that planet before, you see. And you can see where this is going. When he looks at the aliens that are beautiful, trim, healthy, gorgeous women and handsome men, when he sees these aliens, he sees them the way they really look. And they're green with foreheads and slimy and that whole thing. I know that's a stupid illustration, but I just thought, get the idea of of we are so used to coming and standing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ before a holy God. And if we ever didn't have that, forget the sins being forgiven now. I'm talking about presently. If we could imagine how a holy God would see us outside of Christ. And I hope that silly illustration. Something just, I think it's true. I think, I think it's he, something so marred and fallen and messed up. All of us, we've all committed different sins. But that hardly would matter, would it, outside of Christ? So it's a wonderful thing. Here we come into his house, gathering in his name, and we have his pardon for all the sins we've committed. Not just that. When he looks at me, what he sees is the righteousness of someone who never sinned in his whole life, Jesus Christ. We are hidden with Christ in God. I don't have anything better to give you. That's a wonderful, wonderful transaction that comes. So don't just see forgiveness. That's pardon is wonderful. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But you don't just get pardoned. We get clothed in Christ's righteousness because he was sinless and made perfect for our salvation. Everyone said, 